بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله وصلى الله على سيدنا محمد وآله الطاهرين السلام عليكم ورحمة الله and welcome to this podcast series of a commentary on نهج البلاغة by Mizan Institute زرعوا الفجور وساقوه الغرور وحصدوا الثبور لا يقاس بآل محمد عليهم السلام من هذه الأمة أحد after speaking about uh, the Jahiliyyah times and what the people were, were going through and how the Prophet, how great what the Prophet did was because of how bad the situation and conditions were during the times of Jahiliyyah and how after the Imam spoke of the Ahlul Bayt والسلام, and uh, how they are the trustees of his secrets and the shelter for his affairs, etc. All the good things he said there. Now he turns his attention to a group of people that he doesn't specify. And if I would say based on the uh, title of this khutbah that Sayyid al-Radi has given, that he says the khutbah that the Imam gave after returning from the Battle of Safin, judging from the wording, the harsh wording that the Imam also uses here, that we'll get to, we'll get to momentarily, uh, it seems that he's speaking about Muawiyah and those who fought against him in the Battle of Safin. Now there are some points that I'll bring up later towards the end of this session uh, regarding this khutbah and how it has been a little cut up and you'll find different parts of it um, here and there when you look at the other works of Nahj al-Balagha, namely Tamamu Nahj al-Balagha. Um, so I'll talk about that later and how that can affect our understanding of this khutbah. But for now... Based on the book itself, the Nahj al-Balagha itself, and where this has been placed, the title that has been given to this khutbah, yes, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be interpreting or commentating on it based on that. So, based on that, it just seems like very clearly the Imam is speaking about Muawiyah and what he's done. Well, what did he do? It says Muawiyah and of course his followers and those who were his companions and serving him. He says, "Zara'ul fujur al-ghurur thubur." Three very short lines, um, but of course, it shows how bad and to what extent the damage was during the time of Imam Ali salam and what he had to deal with. Zara'ul fujur. They, what these people did, he's saying, is they sowed vices. So they planted the seeds of fujur. Fujur here it says vices, but um, fujur is with those grave and great sins that are committed. Okay, um, these are the ones that uh, are also considered uh, not just uh, the al al kabira as they say, but the worst of the worst of those I would say are fujur. So it says that they planted the seeds of fujur. So if you want to take down a religion, let's say, if you want to take down a civilization, even let's say. What you do is, you start with vices, you start with certain sins that can cause major issues. So they planted the seeds of fujur. In other words, they normalized these grave sins. <clears throat> okay, if you plant a seed, and, you, and, and that seed of course is the sins that the people are committing, but those are going to serve as seeds for a fruit that you want to harvest later, that seed needs water. So the imam, he says, they watered these seeds of sin with غرور. Now, غرور can have a couple meanings or usages. غرور can sometimes mean um, when you are oblivious to things and you are fooled by things. You're awake, your senses are all intact, yet you are still fooled. And you still, you still perceive re- something that's not reality as reality. Okay, This is غرور. Another... Um, Usage of ghurur is deception. So whatever is meant here, all in all, what these individuals did, these enemies of Ali ibn Abi Talib salam, they planted the seeds of grave sins, and so they watered it with ghurur. Now ghurur in this context can mean probably uh, making the people feel like they have all the time in their life, all the time in the world. They're not going to die as if. You have all the time. Do whatever you like. You know There will be time for repentance later. They fooled them with these things. Deceived them in one way or another. That, what I said is just an example. 
So you, on one hand, are sinning. Sometimes you sin, but you know what you're doing is wrong. And you know that uh, there's no guarantee that you're alive tomorrow. You will try your best to make up for that as soon as possible. Sometimes, no, you're told that you have all the time in the world. Don't worry about it. You know, one night's not going to be a thousand nights. One day is not going to be a thousand days. One haram is not a thousand harams. Allah is all forgiving. Let go. You know, let go and just do whatever you like. So if sometimes you do this sin, but you're told, but this is your mindset. This is very dangerous. Okay. Sometimes you do bad, but you make up for it right away. Sometimes you do bad, and then you add more bad to that bad because you feel like you're not going to be held accountable. Or you have enough time to make up for it so that you won't be held accountable. So here, they planted the seeds and they also allowed that seed to grow, gave it room to grow. And they watered it with that. How? By fooling the people, deceiving the people. Okay, well, obviously such a community, such a civilization even, it was, it's a one-way road that they're on now towards destruction. And so obviously, when the time is right, and when the fruit is ripe, yeah, the fruit will be harvested. What is that fruit that is yielded by the seed of fujur? That fruit is thubur. Wahasadut thubur, the Imam says in the third line. He says that eventually these ones who had planted the seed of fujur and watered it with gurur, they were able to now pick the ripe fruit of this plant, of this tree that has grown. What is that fruit? It is the fruit of thubur, which means destruction. Everything is destroyed. Well, the people, they're having a good time in this life, of course, doing whatever they like. But destruction, even if you have the best life here, if you don't have an akhirah, then that is destruction. If you destroy your akhirah while your dunya is taken care of, that is destruction. In the dictionary of Islam, when you have fujur, and, for, and with ghurur, you water that fujur, what, what are you going to get out of it? You're going to get destruction out of it, and that's exactly what's happening. So the imam, first of all, he's saying that this was, this was something done um, deliberately by the enemies. It's not like it just so happened. Deliberately, they knew what they're doing. They used the, the two elements of fujur and ghurur in order to attain the result and achieve the destruction of the people. Think about it. You're going against either the imam of your time, if you believe in the, that he's imam, or you're going against the fourth khalifa of your time, if you believe only in the khilafa of Ali ibn Abi Talib. You know? And so, whatever it is, it's all destruction. And this is kind of scary, and it, uh, it should be an alarm for us. The Quran speaks of this, that sin and of course, we have little sins we, we'll do tawbah from, we repent from. But if a person falls on that track of continuously just and heedlessly and heedlessly and carelessly continuing with grave sins, who knows what the end is of this person, what the fate of this person is going to be. The Quran, though, speaks about this and brings up this idea of the ones who continuously, they did bad, their fate was that they turned against God. You know, sometimes we do wrong, but we're still believing in God. In that moment, maybe, you know, it's a mistake that we made and all of that. But it's not like we have turned away from God because of that sin. But if a person continues down this path, it is scary. The Quran says that the fate of these people is that they denied the signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It says, ثُمَّ كَانَ عَقِبَةَ الَّذِينَ أَسَاءُ it's not like if a person continues the path, down the path of vice and fujur that it's going to always be the same amount of uh, ease for them to return. No, sometimes it ends with this. It says, Then the fate of those who committed misdeeds was that they denied the signs of Allah and they used to mock them. Okay, so it's not like yeah, uh, if a person falls into sin once, it's the same as when they're doing it the thousandth time. No, it's different. Allah will give us opportunities to return again and again. But once that heart is hardened, this is the fate of that person. Here it says they denied the signs of Allah, which means that they turned away from Allah completely. They know it's the sign of Allah. They know what faith is, but they turn away from it.
Now in the khutbah, Imam Ali salam has a lot to say about these people. But as I said, this khutbah actually has been chopped up and only parts of it have been brought into um, Nahj al-Balagha. And so, um, as I said, I will talk about this later as well. But the three things that he says about them are brought here. And after that, he moves on. The Imam moves on now. So I think this, these few lines are enough to let us know how evil this whoever he, he's speaking of these people are. But then he moves on now. He moves on to La yuqasu bi ali Muhammadin min ummati ahad. This line that is, of course, a famous line that the Imam says, and uh, it's one of those lines that really shines in Nahj al-Balagha. The way the Imam words it, he says that none in the Islamic Ummah and the nation of Islam can be compared with Alu Muhammad, the, the household of the Holy Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa Sometimes you compare two things to each other and then you figure out which one's better, which one's not as good. Sometimes you just say, look, there's no comparison at all. Like, don't, don't even waste your time. It's apples and oranges. You can't compare these two to each other. It seems that the Imam is trying to make this point that, look, the, the Ali Muhammad, the progeny of the Holy Prophet ﷺ, which of course the Shia will say it is first and foremost the Imams of Ahlul Bayt wasalam. These are not to be compared with anyone else. They are at another level. They're not in the same horizon. They're not on the same plane by which you can now you know, compare them to others. No, 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 no. You compare this scholar to that scholar. You compare this person of knowledge to that one. That's fine. But the moment you bring Alu Muhammad into the picture, that's just at another level. And so there's no comparison at all. لا يقاسو بآل محمدين. Don't try to compare Alu Muhammad to others to try to figure out which one's better, which one's not, which one has more knowledge, which one doesn't. No, no, no. These these ones are at. They have something divine about them. They're just different. That doesn't allow you to compare them to anybody else. And so, for example, I'll just give a few examples. There's tons and tons of examples that show that these people are different than your normal, usual people. These Muslims are different than your usual Muslims out there. So, for example, the famous hadith of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam, where he says, "Inna mathala ahli bayti fi ummati kamathali safina tinuh fi qawmihi." That verily the parable, the the example of my ahlul bayt, my family, amongst my nation, is like that is like that of the ark of Nuh uh, amongst his people. Well, what, what about it? That whoever gets on this ark and rides this ark will be saved. Whoever else that doesn't, they will be destroyed. They will drown. And so just like that, if you wanted to survive in Prophet Nuh's time, when the great flood came, you had to be on the ark. If you weren't on the ark, that equaled your destruction. Here the Prophet says that that's how they are. In other words, and, and as I said, what is our definition of destruction? Our definition of destruction is that you lose your akhirah. So if you want to secure akhirah, you get on this ark of the Ahl al-Bayt So here the Shia, of course, they will they will say we, we get everything from them. We will get our deen from them, our religious tenets and, and teachings from them. This is uh, this goes against the idea of oh if you can you can follow any one of my for example companions of the prophet yeah and you will be saved we don't believe in that as Shia the hadith that says my companions are like the stars any one of them you follow you will be guided we don't believe in that we believe that there's one ark that you have to get on and that is the ark of the Ahlul Bayt or for example we'll have the the verse the famous verses Balhua ayatun bayinat that uh, these are signs, clear signs, in the chests of those who have been given knowledge. Well, who's it talking about? This is Surah An-Kabut, verse 49. Who's it talking about? Well, for us, first and foremost, the best example for them are the Ahlul Bayt, Or Surah Al-Imran, verse 7. Talking about those verses that are hard to understand, that are metaphorical and whatnot. Well, who knows the interpretation of these verses? 
It says, but no one knows its interpretation except Allah and those firmly grounded in knowledge. Okay, so these we will believe as the Shia that is talking about Alun Nabi, Ahlul Bayt alayhim salam Al-A'imma min Ahlul Bayt alayhim salam The Imams of Ahlul Bayt are the best example and sometimes even the only example of who these people are. So these are just some examples from our literature, brothers and sisters, that show why no one can be compared to the Ahlul Bayt, that they are at a, they're, they're at just at another level. And you get a glimpse of that in their words and the books that we have that reflect their sayings. Just in this Nahjul Balagha itself, as you go through it, you can tell that this is a special person, that you don't find others having said such, such wise words at such a high quantity. Sometimes you get away with one good thing you say and everyone knows you for that. Sometimes there's a whole book, like Nahj al-Balagha is a whole book by Ali ibn Abi Talib. Not by him as in he penned it, but the wor- his words and sayings that are reflected therein. You can tell as you go through this that um, this is not a normal book with normal sayings from a normal person. No, these are very, very deep sayings. A lot of it is at least. Nahj al-Balagha, Sahifa Sajjadiya. Yeah, again, you go through it, you can tell this is special. You just go through Dua Makarim Al-Akhlaq. Some say there's like 150 things in there that you have to ask Allah for. Like if a person goes through this, they can tell how high a person, a mu'min, a believer can go in their spirituality if they can achieve these things that they're asking for from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When you look at all of the ahkam and religious rulings from Imam al-Sadiq and Imam al-Baqir salam, the thousands of hadiths we have in that regard, yeah, you can tell that, okay, this is not a normal person. You look at the debates that Imam al-Rida had, for example, the du'as, some of these ziyarat that we have from Imam al-Hadi, you can tell that these are not normal people. Imam al-Rida, for example, you can tell, like, when you just go through it, you, he was known as the alim of the Ali Muhammad, the scholar of Ali Muhammad, the knowledgeable one of Ali Muhammad. Not, the other, not that the other ones aren't, but this one was known, he got the opportunity to show what he had a little bit. Um, or put to you know put into practice the the knowledge that he had for debating others. Just the fact that he showed us a little bit of what he had due to the circumstances he was in, we can tell that this person was special to the point that some of our scholars they say that he revived the religion the same way Imam Hussein revived it. Imam Hussein revived it with his blood. Imam Rida revived everything with his knowledge. In other words, Islam was going down again. Imam al-Rida was the one who brought it back to life with his knowledge. Okay, so all of these things, you can tell that this person, even if I don't believe that he's an imam, I can tell that he's different. Okay, he is different than the rest to the point where others cannot be compared to them, let alone if we believe that they are imams. Then there is, of course, no discussion there that no one is to be compared to them. So now, not only that, the imam goes on here in Nahj al-Balagha, he says, not, not only are la yuqasu, he says, don't compare them. But then this second line really puts the nail in the coffin. It says, وَلَا يُسَوَّى بِهِمْ مَنْ جَرَتْ نِعْمَتُهُمْ عَلَيْهِ أَبَدًا Listen people, you can't compare anyone to them, especially for this reason, that these are people whose blessing the rest of the Muslims are benefiting from. A person who blesses is not to be compared to the one who is being blessed. One who was under their blessing cannot be matched with them, it says here. This needs to, we need to unpack this a little bit and discuss it. It's very beautiful, very, very beautiful. It's kind of, you know, for lack of better words here, forgive me for using this term, but it's a little bit of a subtle but needed flex that the Imam is doing here. He's flexing on those who might act like Islam owes them something. He says, let's see who is blessing others with their blessing, and making sacrifices so that the rest can benefit from Islam. Who is that? That's Ahlul Bayt again. The Ahlul Bayt Sometimes the blessing that you have is a blessing because of which Islam would not have survived because if it wasn't there. Okay? Sometimes the blessing is even more than that. So we'll talk about that a little bit. Let me let me break it down first. Sometimes the blessing is the normal blessings of the services that you have done towards Islam. 
the battles that Imam Ali salam was in, in which the Prophet like said straight up, he said, this blow that Imam Ali delivered on this day is greater and higher than the worship of all of mankind and jinn. That is big, brothers and sisters. Darbatu Ali, and it's famous. Yawm al-khandaq afdalu min ibadati thaqalain. Right? Or some or some reports say, La mubarazatu aliyan li amr bin abdi wad afdal min a'mali ummati ila yawm al-qiyamah. That the, the fight of Ali with Amr bin Abdi Wad was, is greater than all of the actions of my nation until the Day of Judgment. Because it was that was it. That was the point at which if Amr was to defeat Ali, then there was no Islam probably after that. And if Ali was to defeat Amr, then after that Islam would survive. Because the, the battle of Khandaq, and the battle of, or it's also called the battle of, uh, of Ahzab, that was that final battle after which the mushrikeen came to the conclusion that they just cannot defeat these Muslims. Battle of Ahzab and Khandaq was the battle where they brought all they could to the table and to the battlefield to fight the, the Muslims and destroy the Muslims, but they failed. But it all came down to this final blow or this fight between Amr and Ali, you all, those uh, most of us will know this uh, the story of this. Those of you who don't, you can look it up. It happened in the Battle of Ahzab. All you need to do is look up the Battle of Ahzab slash Battle of Khandaq. It has different names, and you'll see that fight between or that battle between Ali and Amr and what happened and transpi- transpired there. Now that's just one example. Laylatul Mabit, when Ali salam slept in the place of the Prophet when the Prophet was migrating from Medi- from Mecca to Medina. The battle of Khaybar, the battle of Uhud, even the battle of Badr, and even in the time of the Khulafa after the Holy Prophet and what uh, sacrifices the Imam made there. All of these are the blessings and the services of Ali towards the Ummah of the Prophet. So how can you compare anyone to him? How can you compare anyone to him and the progeny of the Holy Prophet Because even after Ali ibn Abi Talib, we believe that yes, Al-Hasan, Al-Husayn, all the way till the end. These are the ones who have kept Islam alive through their sacrifices, through their services, through their knowledge. Okay? Now here it says, You can never equate the two. The blessed, you can never equate the blessed one to the one who is blessing the one, the others. Okay? So these two cannot be uh, seen as equal ever, abada. So that's one way of looking at ever. That means you can never you can never equate the two. But there's another thing that can be said here as well that this abada is a clause for something else. That there's a abadi ni'mat or ni'ma, excuse me. An eternal blessing that's always there with the Ahlul Bayt Although I want to say that the wording of this part of the khutbah is more in in favor of what I said already, which you know, you can never compare the two, you can never equate the two. But I do want to add something here, just because of this abada that's here, that says an ongoing persisting ni'mah, it can also mean. What is that ni'mah that is always there and persisting as long as we have this Ahlul Bayt alayhim That is the concept of them being the channel through which Allah sends His everything upon all of mankind. The fact that they are wasitatul fayl that they are the channel through which Allah's mercy and grace flows to the rest of His creation, that is maybe even, one can argue, the greater blessing out of all these other ones. We talked about Khaybar, Uhud, Khandaq, and all these things, right? We talk about Ashura, we talk about everything else. We talk about Imam al-Sadiq, Imam al-Rida, as I said. But, that's on one side. But the fact that they are, they are that link between us and the heavens, they are that link between us and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, without which Allah would not send down, according to Imam al-Hadi in Ziyarat Jama'a Kabira, Allah would not send down even rain to the people. That Allah wouldn't uh, protect the skies from falling upon the earth and collapsing upon the earth. All of these are due to the fact that we have a blessing of Ahlul Bayt alayhi wasalam amongst us. 
whether we see them or we don't, whether we have access to them or we don't. They are that reason for a lot of things that happen in this world for the creation of Allah by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this is also another blessing that we sometimes forget. Yes, we remember the, the sacrifices and the courage exhibited by the Imam on the battlefield, for example. We remember the knowledge of the Imam and all of that. Yes, these are all there. And we might talk about these a little bit more later as well. At least the knowledge of the Imam. We'll talk about it later as well, maybe. Um, when we're reading from Ibn Abi al-Hadid in a little bit. But all in all, all in all, these are one type of blessing. There's another type of blessing. And that is them being wasitatul fayd. Okay? So, let me just try to uh, summarize till now. Uh, there's two types of blessings that we can have. The normal blessings, the services that have been given, that these people have done, these Ahlul Bayt have done. Yeah. And it says that, okay, when, when someone has these kinds of services and others don't, you can never compare this one to that one. Abada. Never compare this one to that one. Sometimes you look at Abada and you say, no, Abada might even be talking about something else. A ni'mah that is there, Abadan. A ni'mah that is always there. Not don't ever compare these two. Never compare these two. No. They, there are people who you are not supposed to compare to others. Why? Because they have a ni'mah that's there, Abadan. A ni'mah that never ceases to exist. That's always there. The battle of Uhud happened once and then after that it's, it, it doesn't exist anymore. But there's a ni'mah that is there, Abadan, forever. What is that ni'mah that the Ahl bayt bring that is persisting and continuously there? The fact that they are wasitatul fayd. Hopefully I was able to show how, you know, the way we look at this abadan clause here allows us to interpret this line in different ways. Um, although I am inclined towards one of them more than the other, but all in all, any form of ni'mah can be meant here, and that will be the normal ni'mah and also the wasitatul fayd ni'mah. Anyway, I don't want to spend any more time on that. Now here, I just couldn't not read off of Ibn Abi al-Hadid for you. He has like maybe a paragraph or two here when he's talking about this part of the khutbah where it says, لا يقاس بآل محمد من هذه الأمة أحد And then it says, ولا يساوى بهم من جلت نعمتهم عليه أبدا He has some things to say. Now who is Ibn Abi al-Hadid? He has one of the most famous, if not the most famous commentary on Nahj al-Balagha that everyone refers to. Like if you want to do actual actual work on Nahj al-Balagha, you have no choice but to take a look at uh, this commentary, of course, of Ibn Abi al-Hadid. And he's from the classical times. And uh, he is, a, according to the Shi'i school and a lot of others, he is a Sunni Mu'tazilite. We have to understand that in this day and age, I'tizal uh, and Mu'tazilism isn't uh, really adhered to too much anymore. Nowadays, everyone's uh, a lot of the ones out there who are from the Sunni school, they will be Ash'arites when it comes to the theological beliefs. They are Ash'arites. They're not Mu'tazilites. Uh, but in the past, Mu'tazilism was a thing. As a matter of fact, during the time of some of the later Bani Abbas Khalifas, uh, they were pushing for this idea of I'tizal. Although it was not very long-lived, but all in all, yeah, you'll find that uh, it was sometimes mainstream or was pushed to be mainstream at least for a while. But yeah, nowadays we don't have it anymore. Anyway, the point I'm trying to make is that uh, this is a Sunni scholar, Ibn Abi al-Hadid, and he is a Mu'tazilite Sunni. Now some of the uh, Sunni school, people from the Sunni school, they say, no, no, he's a Shia. No, no, when you look into the things he says in this book of his, this commentary of his, on Nahj al-Balagha, you will find that he looks at the Imam as a very, very high individual that is even maybe more qualified than those preceding him for Khilafah. But all in all, he does believe and he is always trying his best to reconcile the words of Imam Ali in Nahj al-Balagha so that um, it doesn't sound like the Imam is critical of those before him. And even if the Imam is critical, but he accepts them as his Khalifas. We as Shia, of course, we don't believe that Ali ibn Abi Talib will go to that extent that deep down inside he also believes certain things that they're saying. Uh, and so when we see that Ibn Abi al-Hadid says these things, we can tell that okay, he's not from the, he's not from the conventional Shi'i school of thought. Anyway, 
as I said, some will say he's Shia. The majority believe he's Sunni. We as Shia, of course, we also believe he is Sunni. Um, but it's not that we can use what he says now against the Sunni school of thought and say, oh, see, your own scholars are saying this. Look at what they say about Imam Ali here and there. Because they'll say, you know, we, some will say we don't believe he's Sunni. Some will say, well, he's a Mu'tazilite. We don't care what he says. Yeah. So, but, but for us as Shia, when we look at what these, some of these scholars are saying that are not from the Shi'i school of thought, well, if it's very inspirational. It's very heartwarming uh, to see that they say these things. So, for example, when we, when we reach these lines of Nahj al-Balagha, لَا يُقَاسُ بِآلِ مُحَمَّدٍ أَحَدٍ مِنْ هَذِهِ الْأُمَّةِ أَحَدٍ What does he say here? Well, I'm just taking a, a page of that book of his and reading off of it. There's a context here. But uh, I'm just going to read this part. It says, فَإِنْ قِيلْ If it is said, what does the Imam mean when he says, لَا يُقَاسُ بِآلِ مُحَمَّدٍ مِنْ هَذِهِ الْأُمَّةِ أَحَدٍ what does it mean that he says, don't compare them to anyone, don't equate anyone to them. Anyone who is blessing um, someone else cannot be compared to the one who is being blessed. You're not supposed to compare these two. He says, obviously, there's no doubt that the one who gives blessing is greater and more noble than the one who is being blessed. And so there's no doubt. La rayb anna Muhammadan wa ahlahu al-adnayn min bani Hashim that those close uh, close family members or close ahl and family and household of the Prophet, especially uh, from Bani Hashim, especially Ali, la siyama aliyan alayhi salam, he says there's no doubt that these individuals an'amu ala al-khalq kafatan, that they have blessed and given blessing, their blessings to all of creation, ala al-khalq it says, not just the Muslimin, but all of creation, kafatan, all of them, with a blessing and ni'ma, la yuqaddar qadaruha, that you cannot measure its greatness and significance. That's how great it is. You can't. It's immeasurable. What is that? Wahiyat dua ila al-Islam The fact that they called to Islam and they brought the people to Islam, guided the people to Islam. And he says, well, obviously the Prophet did that. He guided with his tongue, with his hand, with the aid of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, with the angels and all of that. And he is the one to be followed. He is the chosen one. He is the one that is to be obeyed. He says, I, I understand that Muhammad sallallahu is all of that, but that Imam Ali has a share of this hidayah as well, this guidance as well. You can't you can't cross him out of the equation. He's part of the equation whether you like it or not. Even if he's the second one. But he's the second one that is following the footsteps of the first one, which is the Prophet. And this is something that cannot be denied, he says. And if it wasn't for his struggles, his sacrifices, his sword, and all of the knowledge and tafsir of Qur'an, and guiding the Arab of his time, then it would, if it wasn't, if it, if that's all you look at, that's enough for us to be able to, to say that, uh, that he deserves, uh, that he has a right uh, over us, and a blessing over us. So don't, so because of that blessing that he has over us too, you can't put, you can't compare anyone to him either. Now here it's interesting. It says that, uh, <laughs> Ibn Abi al-Hadid knows that some people might get a little upset here. And they say, but, he says this, he says, فَإِنْ قِيلْ لَا رَيْبْ فِي أَنَّ كَلَامَهُ هَذَا تَعْرِيضٌ بِمَنْ تَقَدَّمَ عَلَيْهِ He says, look, I know some might say that, look, there's no, it's clear that this line that Ali is saying here, لَا يُقَاسُ بِآلِ مُحَمَّدْ مِنْ هَذِهِ الْأُمَّةِ أَحَدٍ well, what's he saying? The Imam is obviously saying, look at the nation of the Prophet. No one in this nation can be compared to Ali Muhammad. Well, there are some in this nation who were Khalifas before me. The Imam is pointing that out. Yeah, that even them, when he says it in very general terms and brings no restrictions, no qualifiers to these words of his, these general words of his, then obviously what he's saying applies to them as well. Even those who came before him of the Khulafa, who are not from Alu Muhammad, fall under the same category. 
So Ibn Abi Al-Hadid is cognizant of this matter. He says, I know that some might say, but look, he's taking it's it's as if he's taking a shot at those who came before him. Ta'rid means he's taking a kind of like a shot at those who came before him. He says, Hey, relax, don't be too upset. At the end of the day, Imam Ali has certain things that even those who came before him of Khulafa, they didn't have. We have to accept that. He says, They'll ask, Well, what does he have over those two, for example, or three Khulafa that came before him, Uthman, Umar, Abu Bakr? What is that? He might have a blessing over everyone else, but what about those three? Ibn Abi al-Hadid, he says, he says, قِيل نِعْمَتَان There are two ni'mas, two blessings that you can't deny. الْأُولَى مِنْهُمَ الْجِهَادَ عَنْهُمْ وَهُمْ قَاعِدُونَ He says the fact that he fought while others were still sitting. Now here sitting might mean that they weren't really um, taking part in the battlefield, in the battle the way that Imam Ali was, or no, sitting in their homes because they hadn't even embraced Islam yet. Some of them. Uh, they embraced Islam a little later. Um, but I, I, this is what some people have said, that Qa'idun here might mean that they hadn't embraced Islam yet while Imam Ali was fighting. I don't think that is the case though. I think it's talking about the actual battles after all of these other individuals were Muslim, but they weren't taking part in the battles the way Ali ibn Abi Talib was. Because Imam Ali wasn't doing jihad before uh, in, in the in in the time of Mecca in the era in the Meccan era of Islam he wasn't and so these people they were not Muslim in the Meccan era some of them some of them were Muslim from the beginning like Abu Bakr he's one of the first ones who embraced Islam or the first adult they say who was who embraced Islam if Ali ibn Abi Talib was the first person was the first person Abu Bakr was the first adult they say who um, embraced Islam okay so these people weren't, it's not like they were non-Muslim while Imam Ali was fighting in the battlefield. Imam Ali was not fighting in the battlefield in Mecca. He was fighting in the Meccan era. He was fighting in the battlefield in the Medinan era. After which all of these individuals, Uthman, Ali, uh, excuse me, Uthman, Umar, and Abu Bakr had become, were Muslim. So here, Qa'idun, the fact that Ibn Abi al-Hadid says they were sitting, it seems to be meaning that they were sitting from the battlefield. They weren't, uh, taking active participation the way Ali ibn Abi Talib was, right? And there is history about these things we don't want to get into right now. But anyway, point being, brothers and sisters, if, if we get out of these details um, of the text and figuring out what Qa'idun means here, all in all, Ibn Abi Hadid is saying, this man put his life on the line in a way no one else did of those who preceded him in Khilafah. فَإِنَّ مَنْ أَنصَفَ عَلِمَ أَنَّهُ لَوْ لَا عَلِي لَاسْطَلَمَ الْمُشْرِكُونَ that he says, if anyone is going to be fair and unbiased, we'll know that if it wasn't for the sword of Ali, the mushrikeen, the polytheists would have taken over. Yeah, and so that's number one. And so, and then he, he gives examples. He get he says, وَقَدْ عَلِمْ وَقَدْ عَلِمْتَ آثَارَهُ فِي بَدْرِ وَأُحُدِ وَالْخَنْدَقِ وَخَيْبَرِ وَحُنَيْنِ. Right, and so uh, you know what he did in Badr, in the Battle of Badr, in the Battle of Uhud, in the Battle of Khandaq, Khaybar, Hunayn, all of these battles, you, we know what he did. So that's one thing he talks about, and I'm going to skip some words here that he says, and then it goes to the second one, Wathaniya, the second blessing, he says. What is that one? The second blessing, the second great service that Imam Ali has done, is his knowledge. That if it wasn't for his knowledge and him imparting that, there would have been so many mistaken and erroneous judgments, straight up wrong judgments that would have been made when it came to the rules of Islam and the verdicts that were given in regards to different disputes people were having or different punishments that were to be carried out. If it wasn't for Ali and him sometimes intervening, explaining then things would have been very bad when it came to this matter. It was because he was sharing his knowledge that, or fixing the mistakes that others were making. And he says, it's reached a point, Umar lahu He says, and Umar ibn al-Khattab himself has been famously quoted to have said, and he says, and this saying is very famous, 
That if it wasn't for Ali and him sharing his knowledge, then that Umar would have been destroyed. Destroyed in the sense of he would have given the wrong rulings and verdicts sometimes. And so Ali would fix those mistakes that were being made. This is a person, of course, who is saying all of this, Ibn Abi al-Hadid, that when you go throughout his book and you see, you'll find that he is trying his best to reconcile and try to show that Ali was okay with those who came before him. But he still is saying here that, look, people, you can't compare the two. Okay, so now, if these individuals are the ones that no one is to be compared to because everything of Islam is owed to them, and if it wasn't because of them, Islam wouldn't have survived, Islam wouldn't have existed. So, as a result, هُمْ أَسَاسُ الدِّينَ They are the foundation of the religion. They are the pillars of certainty and yaqeen. You cannot have certainty in anything of Islam unless it comes from them. Of course, the original source of everything is the Holy Prophet But after him, it's these ones. And so you can, if you take them out of the picture, everything collapses. If you take them out of the equation, Islam will cease to exist. And so as a result, إِلَيْهِمْ يَلْحَقُ if, there, if you've fallen ahead of them, if you're overdoing things when it comes to the religion, adding your own flavor to things, your own understanding to things, saying that I think God is like this, God is like that, but it's not matching with their, with their teachings, you have to come back to them or else you don't have deen, you don't have iman, you don't have yaqeen. You don't have religion, you don't have certainty. You think you might, but you don't. So the ghali, the one who does ghulu, who goes overboard, they have to come back to them. وَبِهِمْ tali, And the ones who've fallen way behind are falling way short of religion. And they just have a, a too much of a flowery understanding of things and too inclusive understanding of things as well. Once again, their understanding, if it's not in line with the teachings of the Alu Muhammad والسلام, then they also are missing the, the deen and the yaqeen. Because as we said, if you don't have them, they are the foundation and the pillar of yaqeen and certainty and religion. Without which, you don't have those. You don't have religion. You don't have certainty. You think you do, but you don't. And this reminds me of those famous lines in that, in that famous salawat of Sha'ban, as salawat al-Sha'baniyya, that says, المتقدم لهم مارق والمتأخر عنهم زاهق واللازم لهم لاحق That the one who falls ahead of them is outside of religion, has left religion. Who do you think you are falling ahead of them? The one who falls behind and doesn't benefit from their teachings and falls short, this person is, is also uh, destroyed. It's only those who keep up with the Ahl Bayt, don't fall ahead, don't fall behind, that are the ones who have reached truth and are going to make it. They have religion, they have certainty. Alright, so now if everything is revolving around these individuals of Islam. If everything of Islam has to do with these people, then obviously these people, they have a wilaya over us. Did not the Prophet tell the people, or did not the Quran tell us that the Prophet, he is awla bil mu'minina min anfusihim, that he has more authority over us than we do over ourselves. Did he not, does the Quran not say that? It does. And so, why is that the case? Because the Prophet is the one who has been entrusted with all the trusts of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that, we, that, he, that he needs to be able to guide the people. Okay, well, given what Ali ibn Abi Talib has said so far, and this is just a part of it, it's not even all of it, but even this much that we covered so far is enough to allow anyone with common sense to, under, common sense to understand that a person like this or people like this will have authority over us more than we do over ourselves. And so the Imam here in the in, in the khutbah he says, Wallahum khasaisu haqil wilaya. That these people they possess all of those peculiar characteristics and merits and virtues and qualifications to bear the haq and right of authority and wilaya and guardianship over us. Obviously, 
you, sometimes you 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 have the equation it's so clear the answer comes up you you say two plus two you already know equals four you don't need to say the equals four part even it's already clear when this is what they're all about they are asasuddin and they are the uh, foundation of religion and they are the asas and pillars of or imad of yaqeen and the pillar of yaqeen and certainty okay then obviously they bear the khasaisu haqqil wilaya they bear that which is needed to have authority over others they're the ones who are supposed to be at, to- at the top running things calling the shots for everything the same way the prophet was no one's comparing them to the holy prophet of course the prophet is higher than everyone else but practically they're going to be following in his footsteps and taking over. And that's why it says, That when it comes to uh, being the wasi, the one, the, the executor of a will is called a wasi. The one who knows exactly what the deceased wanted in writing in their will and is going to execute it the way that the deceased wanted it is the wasi. The one that you hand things over to, to run things after you, to make sure they run the same way you would want them to. This is a wasi. Ali ibn Talib, in many, many, many stories and hadiths and history and whatnot, is referred to as wasiyu Rasulillah, to the point that they will say that uh, in this Ibn Abil Hadid, he talks about this. It's interesting, in his book, he brings poetry from all different times and eras of how different people have referred to Ali ibn Abi Talib as the wasi, the one who knows what the Prophet wants after him. Now some will say that, okay, he's the executor of the will of the Prophet and he's the one who's supposed to make sure things are kept in check, but it doesn't mean that others cannot be Khalifa. This is what Ibn Abi Hadid might say. We will say, no, the wasi is going to be the one who is supposed to be running everything. He's the one with authority. He's the one who's supposed to be in control of everything after the Prophet. So the Imam here says, if they have haqqul wilaya, that means that they are going to be the wasi after the Prophet. They have wasiyah and they have wiratha. They take inheritance. Now here someone might say, oh, you know, inheritance, you know, the money, the belongings, the, the, uh, the assets of the Prophet. I mean, this is not something that we believe in is, is being said here, of course. The estate of the Prophet will be going to uh, those who come after him. They inherit from him. No, no. This inheritance is the same inheritance we have in uh, the Quran when it's talking about Prophet Suleiman and Prophet Dawood. In Surah Naml verse 16, وَوَرِثَ سُلَيْمَانُ دَاوُودَ وَقَالْ يَا أَيُّهَا النَّاسُ عُلِّمْنَا مَنْطِقَ الطَّيْرِ وَأُوتِنَا مِنْ كُلِّ شَيْءٍ إِنَّ هَذَا لَهُوَ الْفَضْلُ الْمُبِينَ Sulaiman inherited from Dawood. Inherited what? Maybe he became the prophet after him. And he was in charge of things after him. And he said, Oh people, we have been taught the speech of the birds. So he has. He says, I have this special knowledge. I inherited this from my father. This isn't my father's estate that I'm inheriting. No, no, it's much more than that. Speech of the birds. We have been given out of everything. Everything has been given to us. Straight up he's saying everything. Kulla shay, utina min kulli shay. We have been given of everything. Indeed, this is a manifest advantage. This is what I'm inheriting. So the term waritha is used in this verse. Waritha, wiratha, irth. These are all from the same root. Inheritance here is talking about special things that are being inherited. Yeah. So the imam says that these are the things that are happening. These are the uh, blessings that we enjoy as alun nabi, as ahlul bayt alayhim salam. He says all of this, brothers and sisters, and then he concludes, Al-an إِذْ رَجَعَ الْحَقِّ إِلَىٰ أَهْلِهِ وَنُقِلَ إِلَىٰ مُنْتَقَلِهِ He says now that uh, this, this is the time when the right, where the haqq has been returned to its truthful owner and diverted to its center of return, the translation says here. Or I'm going to say, وَنُقِلَ إِلَىٰ مُنْتَقَلِهِ means it has been transferred to where it was supposed to go. Okay? So here the imam makes this final remark in this khutbah he says now this has happened you know this the, so what what are you going to do as people who know this is the case are you going to make the most of it well muawiyah is not making the most of it of course he's fighting the imam so either it means that what are you going to do now that now that this has the haq and re, has the truth 
and the right has returned to where it was supposed to be. What are you going to do about it, O oh people? It's, it's either that's, that's what he's saying, or maybe some might think that he's saying, now that the truth has returned, now I'm going to fix things up. And now that the power is in my hands, I'm going to fix things and change them back to where they're supposed to be. Because over the 25 years that I was not Khalifa, things changed that I have to change back. I have to do un undo certain things that were done. Whatever the Imam is saying here, he is clearly saying that the haq belonged to him and it returned to him. Now Ibn Abil Hadid has tried to, uh, and others might try to, you know, the ones who will believe in Nahj al Nowadays, of course, non-Shi, uh, uh, mainstream, I would say, Sunni school will not really look at Nahj al as a reliable text that, or the words that have been uttered by Ali ibn Abi Talib. And even if they believe in some of it, um, these words, they might not believe in it. But those who do believe in it, who are not Shia, like Ibn Abi al-Hadid, they will try to explain these words in a way that also is okay with those Khulafa who came before the Imam. And they'll say that, you know, the Imam here is saying that you know I am the all I am I have more knowledge and although they did they tried their best now because I have more knowledge I'll be able to do a better job things like that might be said you know but all in all for us as Shia reading this the Imam whatever point he's making he's either saying people let's see what you do now that the right has returned to his truthful owner or if he's saying that now that the right has returned to his truthful owner, watch what I do and watch how I undo a lot of things. Whatever he's saying, the one thing that we're sure he's saying is that the right belonged to him. And it's obvious based on the preceding sentences and lines that we went through. If everything revolves around them, if they're the foundation, if they're the pillar, if they're the, they have wasiya, they have wiratha, they have khasaisul wilaya, if they have all these things, obviously the haq belongs to him. Now, having done this khutbah, we finished the khutbah here. There are two points that I want to make and that I've kept saying again and again. Number one, Ayatollah Jawadi Amuli, in his commentary, he says this. He says that, I mean, this is something that you'll have throughout Nahjul Balagha, that there are parts of Nahjul Balagha that are cut up. Because as was explained probably in the intro to this whole series, Sayyid al-Radi was, was not after bringing a book that is going to have hadiths in it or history in it. It has all of that. But what he was after was the eloquence. So he was bringing lines he felt are more eloquent. And these lines are cut up and taken out from different parts of different khutbas. And so sometimes when you are trying to learn like whatever you can from a khutbah, it doesn't help that these are choppy lines in, that we have different parts taken out of. And Ayatollah Jawadi Amuli, in the end of this khutbah, he really cries about this, cries out about this, excuse me. And he says, look, it is very hard for us to conclude certain things from this khutbah because it is very, very chopped up. Khutbah number two is very chopped up. And when you look at a book like Tamamu Nahjul Balagha that brings the khutbahs in their original form, you'll find that these lines sometimes are, are misplaced. They're put in different parts in the Nahj al-Balagha of Sayyid al-Radi. And so that really kind of makes it hard for us to be able to understand things perfectly the way we would want to. I went through this khutbah and I based our understanding on the fact that Sayyid al-Radi in the beginning had said that this is a khutbah that was given and delivered after the Battle of Safin. And using that as a context clue, I explained what I could. But all in all, a person who goes to Tamamu Nahj al-Balagha well, might, might feel like there might be other ways that can, certain things can be interpreted and explained as well. All in all, though, the things that we covered, they don't go against the, the main teachings that we have from the Ahlul Bayt or even in Nahjul Balagha as well. I'm pretty convinced that you know what we talked about is pretty accurate. But all in all, if you want to derive certain things, you will have to look at the entire khutbah the way it really was before getting cut up. You'll find the different lines of it in different places and to the point where Ayatullah Jawadi Amuri in his commentary, he's really upset. It seems he's upset about this. And uh, he says that, you know, what can we do, you know? So that's one point I wanted to point out. Another point is that, okay, well, is this after the end of Safin or is it uh, some other time? Ibn Abil Hadid, once again, here, he says, no, this is this, this khutbah cannot be after the Battle of Safin. Why? What's your reason? He says, because that last line, the Imam seems to be very happy and you know, in a good in a good state of mind, he says, now the haq has returned to its truthful owner and has been transferred to where it was supposed to be transferred to. 
He says this line doesn't sound like a line Ali would say after the battle of Safin, after all the bad things that happened in Safin. Because we all know, he says, after the battle of Safin is when the arbitration, the hakamiya or tahkim took place. And Muawiyah took advantage of things and, you know, he... He proclaimed himself as the Khalifa of the Muslimin and all of that. This doesn't sound like something Ali ibn Abi Talib would say. But our scholars have pointed out, and rightfully so, that no, 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 no. First of all, Ali is not a person to be affected negatively by these kinds of things, first of all. For him to not be able to say these powerful lines after being, after let's say, uh, assuming that he was defeated or he didn't achieve his goals in the Battle of Safin. Right? So he's not that type of person, first of all. But assuming that the goals were not achieved and the Hakamiya took place and Muawiyah was not defeated and was not killed in the Battle of Safin and he proclaimed, proclaimed himself after the arbitration as the Khalifa of the Muslimin, assuming all of that is the case, one thing that has slipped the mind of Ibn Abi al-Hadid who's saying this is that um, he is forgetting that the arbitration took place way later after the Battle of Safin. It didn't happen right after the battle stopped. No, the battle stopped. Um, and what happened was that each side chose an arbitra- ar- someone to be involved in this arbitration and and to represent each side. Ali ibn Abi Talib, because of certain reasons, had, was forced to choose Abu Musa al-Ash'ari. He wanted Malik, he wanted Ibn Abbas to represent him, but that was not agreed upon by his own people unfortunately, who later became the Khawarij. Muawiyah, on the other hand, he chose Amr bin al-As. And so these two, like maybe about a year later, maybe the arbitration was finalized and was made official. So after the battle, arbitration has not happened yet. Muawiyah has not proclaimed himself as Khalifa yet. As a matter of fact, Muawiyah has been very belittled because he was that close to getting killed in this battle. And it was only after they begged through raising the Qur'ans high above that they were spared forcefully, of course. We all know the story. The Khawarij, the later-to-be Khawarij of Imam Ali's army forced Imam Ali to accept Muawiyah's um, peace treaty or ceasefire, whatever you want to call it. So what happens is, a year later this happened. So after the battle, Ali, of course, he's... He's very. He, he should be happy, actually. Who says he was in a bad state because he lost the battle? No, no. He's the one who eventually said, okay, you can, you're, you're free to go, but we're going to come back and we're going to have the arbitration. And he knew that if we're going to be, if the arbitration is based on the Qur'an, because that is what everyone agreed upon, that we're going to go back to the Qur'an and see what the Qur'an is telling us to do in this situation. He knew that the Qur'an is very clear that he is on the truth and Muawiyah is, on the wrong, is in the wrong and is on falsehood. So he's sure that, okay, like the Qur'an will uh, will rule in our favor. Now, of course, they pulled a few smart ones and eventually they did what they did in the arbitration, unfortunately. And after that, things were, were very bad. But this line here does not prove that this khutbah was not given after the Battle of Safin because after the Battle of Safin, a line like this can be said by Imam Ali because number one, Imam Ali is not that type of person when things are not going his way, to feel defeated and to not say powerful lines, number one. And number two, even assuming that was the case, which it's not, but assuming that was the case, the arbitration that really broke the back of the Muslims, that happened about maybe a year later, or God knows how many months later. It didn't happen right away. So after the battle, they were they were the victors. They were the ones who came out on top. They were the ones who let the Muawiyah and his army go free. And so a line like this, is befitting of the Imam to be said here. This was a long session, I understand, and my apologies for that. Uh, but I wanted to wrap up this khutbah and not leave the rest of it for another time. And so, Alhamdulillah, this is the end of the thir- second khutbah. After which, Inshallah, we will begin the kh- the third khutbah, which is one of the most famous khutbahs of Najd Balagha, and we have some things to talk about there, Inshallah. Uh, and it is the khutbah of shikshikiyah, khutbah number three of Nahjul Balagha, inshallah. Allah gives us tawfiq to um, cover that one as well. Walhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.